0: I'm Kate Montague and I'm Jess Binner and you're listening to the Audiocraft podcast a series of sessions from our 2018 festival recorded on the day by ABC RN. This session's all about demystifying the data and numbers generated by your podcast. How big is your audience? How fast is it growing? And what do listeners like about your show? It's pretty important stuff to be across especially if you'd like to monetize your podcast and make it commercially legit and your hosting platform holds the keys to this magical data land. But it's often that place that you're too afraid to dive in. Luckily, Katie Rogers is here to guide you through this number jungle. She's the product owner for content at Acast, the world's leading audio on demand technology platform. At the moment, she's responsible for the development of tools that help content creators grow their shows and think creatively about content distribution and creation.
1: Uh, It's so nice that so many of you guys have come to a presentation called Befriending Your Data (laughs) at such a cool, creative event. Robert Smith is here, Helen Zaltzman. But we want to befriend our data. That's the more important thing. Uh, Yeah, as Kate says, I'm an absolute nerd. Uh, Yeah, it's amazing to be here. It's actually kind of mind-boggling that I've been allowed to travel across the other side of the world to just talk about podcast data. For anyone who knows me, I can talk about RSS feeds for hours. You know that I can admit that, that's a part of who I am. You know, so hopefully uh, I can pass on something useful to you. Um, for me, like the Australian podcasting landscape is such an exciting space uh, to be in, uh, to come and visit. I've been watching afar, but, you know, to actually come here and to spend the last week with my colleagues and with podcasters, it really is just kind of, you can just tell that it's, you know, bubbling under the surface, this enormous kind of renaissance that's going to happen. And you've got a real opportunity to, you know, not make the mistakes of maybe some of the other markets and to really, you know, start off from a really strong foundation and you know I'm really excited to see the things are coming out and hopefully in my small very nerdy way I can help contribute to that um, by supporting you guys to make this kind of um, such an amazing time. Um, All the kind of talks that are happening here at AudioCraft what I love about it is they're really nuts and bolts you know it's what people can tell you you can go away and you can do Three things better to make your uh, you know music sound better. You know how to really fine tune your interviews, and that's what I want to do as well. You can see there's a handout. Um, hopefully, it'll be some use for you there to kind of some practical tips that you can take away uh, and sort of start putting into your practice and how you're using podcasts immediately. Um, I don't want to do too much of just sort of pointing at graphs with like a stick and just saying stats at you because obviously that is useful, but I want to make sure that I'm kind of, you know, giving you the tools to use. I think um, in 2015, I went to the Third Coast Festival, which is the one in Chicago, um, and there was a talk by Sean Cole from This American Life about how to do a great interview, and I just thought he was just going to sort of wax lyrical about... Interviews are beautiful and the, you know, the imagination of the inside of the skull. But he actually just went through and it was like, no, nope, when you get in their house, you need to do one minute of um, you know, uh, room tone and then you need to put your questions down next to you. And like, I went away and it just completely changed how I did interviews when I was a producer. I wasn't a very good producer, by the way. That's why I'm now the data person here. You know, I want to be able to facilitate the creative people who make stuff sound much better than me. So, yeah, so you've got this amazing show that you've created. Um, You've got this amazing audio that you've learned how to improve um, from the time that you've been here. What do you do next? That's the kind of thing I want to be talking about. You know, how do you give your show the best chance you can uh, at the time of launch? How do you learn more about your audiences? How do you grow your show? How do you figure out ways of making sure it gets heard by the right people? And then, you know, the next stage, if it's big enough... If you've you know put everything in and people are really listening, uh how do you commercialize? you know I think it's really important that people are able to get paid for their work, uh, whether that's you know enough money to quit your day job and go into podcasting full time and to move to where's the bougie areas of Sydney Paddington, balmain, somewhere like that, yeah, those houses are amazing. I love them so much, uh, or whether it's just a case of like. You know a few hundred dollars a month to pay for a freelance sound engineer to mix your next series or to buy really great microphones or to pick up your drinks tab or to support your soy flat white addiction you know i think there's it's it's a there's a great opportunity here for that kind of information and knowledge to be democratized um in the Australian podcasting landscape I kind of wanna if I can you know, arm you guys with the vocabulary to go and speak about your show and your show's data and your show's audience and all these different ways, then hopefully I'll have done my job. Uh, Just a quick note about me and Acast, which is a company I work for. You probably haven't heard of us. Um, As Kate says, we're a hosting platform. We distribute your shows. They go out on RSS feeds to all the different other podcatchers as well. Um, You know, you can get your stats and your data you publish. And then the other thing on top of that is we can help monetize your show. And we do that through dynamic ad insertion, which I'll kind of explain later. Um, In terms of me, uh, I started in the content team. I was a freelance radio producer a bad one. Um, So (laughs) I figured it was better to use my ability to kind of talk, um, to help out people who are more creative and uh, more special than me. Um, And as I learned more and more about the needs of these podcasters, I found that I really loved fixing problems. So I kind of moved more into the tech space and looking at the tools that we're developing and what kind of podcasters need to, uh, you know, to to do really well. Um, uh, I started listening to podcasts in 2007 when that Ricky Gervais show came out in the UK and then Smodcast as well with Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, I really am a massive nerd. Um, (laughs) And at the moment, my favorite podcast, I have to always give a shout out to this, is Scott Carrier's Home of the Brave. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. It's just phenomenal. Anyway that's kind of my nerdy bit over and done with and hopefully the fact that I've been kind of a podcast nerd for the last 15 years might help me kind of inform this the things that we talk about now and kind of the the, the future of podcasting as well. So as I said your show sounds awesome um, and what we're going to do next with it uh, and how can data kind of help support you by sending it out to the world. Um, how can data help you support creativity and commercial success So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, throughout the session, we're going to talk about what is a listen. You think that when you get a listening stat on uh, on your hosting platform, that's one person who's clicking on your show and uh, listening through to it to the end. That's not the case. It's a deceivingly complex kind of systems of pulleys and levers and download requests and filters. We'll go into a little bit about that and how that feeds into dynamic ad insertion. So the kind of ways that we're able to monetize every listen across every show and episode and how it used to be and how it is kind of in the future. Um, the kind of insights you can use to help launch and grow your show if you're thinking up ideas. Maybe some of you here work for magazines or work for different kind of publishing houses and you've been sent here on a mission to learn about podcasting as much as possible Um, you know how we can sort of look at the data that you already have to see what kind of things your listeners want to listen to and also savvy ways to learn about your audience and grow your show understanding and engaging your audience you know how you can Figure out who these people are, how they're listening, what their behaviours are, where they are around the world, what you can do to make them engage more, what they like, how you can go out and meet them at live events, all these kind of things. And then again, looking forward to commercial opportunities, how you can use all this information about your show to really arm yourself uh, without, in those kind of conversations. Because I said, it's really important to uh, democratise that information. You know, the business of podcasting should be available to everyone. You're all such amazing, creative people. And I want to make sure that it's, you know, in the hands of everyone. And then I look to the future as well to see just a few of the exciting things that are kind of happening to kind of, you know, try and help you get ahead of the curve. Um, so before I kind of do a dig deeper dive into sort of personal data I thought I just wanted to mention a little bit about the data we have about Australian podcasting Um, you know we there's lots of data about people in the US and how they're listening and the UK as well but you know it is an exciting time for podcasting in Australia and it really is growing Um, at ACAST we actually did a survey recently um, of listening behavior there's going to be lots more coming out in you know out in the coming weeks so keep an eye out for that but I just wanted to kind of hit upon a few of the key points I think might be useful for you guys to know. Um, if we can see that, that, you know, Australian listeners are listening while they relax or just simply to listen, which is actually a surprise. I, you know, I always preach the fact that people listen to podcasts when they're commuting. I guess that's because I'm from London, all the sad people on the tube and then they giggle and they smile. It's like, ah, oh, they've got like someone talking in their head. It's fine. They're not alone and sad. Um, <laughs> But it's different here. It's, people tend to commute in different ways in Australia. So, it, you know, it is a different environment. Um, and it's also the fact that, you know, in the U.S., got here, the U.S., the U.K. and Australia, uh, people are listening, uh, obviously, in that kind of morning commuter time and then that home commuter time. But in Australia, interestingly, a lot of people are listening at night as they go to sleep, more so in Australia than any other country um, So I guess what does that mean for you guys? If you think about the kind of show that you're creating, is it the kind of show that people are, you know, getting on their morning commute? Is it a kind of news journalistic show where people want to know about what's going on about the world? Is it a show that's maybe slightly more entertainment, something that's going to, you know, help them shake off that bad day that they had? Or is it something more storytelling, something more intimate, in-depth, strong sound design that they're listening to um, in the evening? And when you kind of can start looking at that, I mean, a lot of hosting platforms do give you that data as well. So you could go back today, if you do have a podcast, see what kind of hours people are listening to. Does that inform when you do a social media post, when you release your show, these kind of things? I think once you start to understand what kind of environments people are listening in, that can kind of help inform you uh, creatively as well Uh, another point as well the infinite dial which is a survey that goes out from Edison which does a huge survey of listening not just podcasting as well but radio has came out come out this week I advise you to if you want to learn more to go and to seek that out on the internet and read about the fact that there's more radio listeners but also more podcast listeners people are getting to audio in general um, in Australia so as I said I wasn't going to point at graphs but I will just do these two very quickly Uh, So here's just a graphical, as you can see here, this is the listening throughout the day. We've got this peak here at seven o'clock and then at six o'clock and then at 10 o'clock as well. And then kind of this weekend, you know, people sort of listening throughout the weekend as well. But those peaks are during the week, which actually matches up with the fact that, you know, day of the week listening, um, you can see that there is a drop on a Saturday and Sunday. So when thinking about maybe what day you want to be releasing your podcast, again, sort of think about what kind of, show it is is it a show that people want to listen to on a monday Uh, is it hot topics is it a daily news show is it something that's you know maybe a bit more entertainmenty or comedy they want to hear later in the week Um, as you can see that there is that spike on a thursday for me it's a little bit of a chicken and egg because there is something that i like to call the cereal effect so cereal released on a thursday and i think that's when a lot of people came into podcasting so it's like i want to be a great show that everyone wants to listen to release on a Thursday. So I'm not sure if that spike is like uh, because that's the best time people are listening, or it's just because all the best shows release on a Thursday. So, you know, it is difficult to say. But yes, uh, there's lots of sources out there about learning more about the Australian podcasting landscape, how people are listening, how it's growing. Um, it's a good thing to kind of to, to, to dig into. And as I mentioned before, um, you know... What is a listen? This isn't something that's you know, the easiest thing to answer. You think it should just be a simple case of someone downloads your show, someone streams your show, that's a listen, that's a person who's you know, enjoyed your show and is out there in the world kind of consuming it but it's actually deceptively complex and it's, it's not always the case so just without getting too, again I can talk RSS feed for hours but just very quickly, you can either download or you can stream a show. Streaming as that name is a little bit you, it, it's not quite right because what people are actually doing is doing something called a progressive download. So because of the way the RSS feeds work, when you're pausing and playing a show, you're actually sending a download request, download request to people's hosting servers over and over again. Do so you know that moment when you're on a tube and you're listening to a podcast and you realize that someone's like arguing over there and you just like gently pause it so that you can <laughs> hear the argument? We all do it, we all do it and then you, they get boring and they go off and whatever, and you press play again, that will appear as another download request in your hosting server. And for the longest time, yes, exactly, there was a nice <laughs> moment there. Yes! It, whatever else happens now, hooray! <laughs> so yes, and that was because, you know, the initial hosting servers were set up in a certain way, and then the, podcast, the podcatchers allowed for streaming, and it kind of had to catch up. So it was this period of time where... There were inflated figures out there, particularly long shows were getting these sort of big figures. And what would happen to those things? They'd end up with these pile of download requests. And because of RSS feed is a little bit of a black box, you couldn't really determine what these things were. But that has changed recently. Um, there's something called the, uh, it's the excitingly named International Advertising Bureau, um, released a series of podcasting metric guidelines at the end of 2017, which basically told platforms like ACAST and like other hosting platforms what you should be doing to filter your download requests to give users the most accurate understanding of who's actually listening. Um, these would be things like uh, if, you know, if you, ha- it had, you had to have downloaded at least one minute's worth Of a show in order for that to count as a download, because sometimes you'd have these like mini download requests going on on RSS feeds, or you'd have someone, or you'd have a hosting server in Albania that went insane and was just calling over and over again, and that would kind of filter that out as well. And um, I think as well, if you press uh, play on a kind of user device, then it needs to be another hour before they'll count another listen. So it's all these kind of very simple, basic guidelines of how to filter data. Um, And then sort of the different platforms have been picking this up at different times. But we're pretty much there now at a point where we have this standard view of what is a listen and what is listening data. And I think that's really going to you know help a lot of people understand who their audiences are. Some of you might have been hosting podcasts for longer and have experienced the drop. Some platforms have kind of had to send out an email to everyone saying why this is happening. And they've had to really couch it in that language of, don't worry, it's fine. You haven't lost listeners. They're still there. They're just not counted 10 times it's okay and I think that's a good thing you know it's a bit of a period of adjustment but I think it really is a good thing to be able to understand who is actually listening so um, I think the takeaway from this is to go and see your platform see if it's IAB compliant that's a really useful piece of vocabulary when you are talking about your show possibly to sponsors or to networks or anything like that it's a it's a key piece of information the IAB is very important here in Australia Um, and uh, as well in terms of like looking at other third-party platforms that your RSS feed has been submitted to in terms of the way that they call for a download request some of them do it in a way that works with that and some of them don't sometimes some platforms kind of download a individual version of your show so it counts as one download in your server and then they run the listens off that so you know you're kind of not getting full access to that information as well so uh, I would say kind of arm yourself with this kind of knowledge of what is actually a listen I think it's really important being able to talk about that as you said it makes people go ah which is always nice Um, and having that come into this space has been really important for this new way of um, monetizing uh, podcast, which is called Dynamic Ad Insertion. It's not that new, but it's kind of, they've gone hand in hand, the need to be accurately uh, tallying your listens with this kind of um, uh, monetization. So just quickly, again, I'm sure lots of you do know what this is, but just again, to make sure that everyone's on a level playing field, Dynamic Ad Insertion is basically when someone has a podcast and they upload it, and rather than having their Squarespace read in the body of the show, You know, in the olden days, you would kind of Squarespace would you know give you a flat fee to to read out something on an episode. It would be in there, and then four four years later you'd listen back, and it would be the same Squarespace read, same Squarespace voucher code that you couldn't use anymore, Um, and that listen wouldn't you know be counted towards the sponsorship. And also, you know, if your show was sponsored by someone like Mailchimp, and then it sort of became the greatest podcast of all time, then obviously that brand is getting much more value. So dynamic insertion is basically about making sure that every listen counts. So, you know, you'll upload an episode, you'll be sponsored by, you know, a certain brand. Uh, When someone presses download, uh, the brand that week will be basically stitched into the MP3 file at the start. It will sound like your voice. It will kind of smoothly be one MP3 file when you've delivered all the impressions that you know was Squarespace paid for, uh, the next week you can, someone can download that very same episode and they'll get a different kind of ad stitched to the front. And uh, as I said, there's, it's really important to understand your data with this because you know, rather than just selling your voice and your show, you're kind of selling your listenership as well, um, which kind of works for people in lots of ways. Um, dynamic ad insertion is also able to be geo-targeted, which is good, so, you know, sometimes American brands don't want to be advertising, you know, Warby Parker spectacles maybe would rather not have it being listened to in the UK or in Australia, where someone can't use that promo code. So dynamic insertion can be specifically focused on different uh, geographical locations. So looking at your data now, you could go away and you could see if you have a majority Australian audience, or do you have a big US audience or a UK audience. And kind of understanding where your listeners are is important for this kind of technology. Also knowing whether your content uh, is evergreen as well. Uh, Is really useful because, as I said with this, any episode in your back catalogue, any listen, uh, if you've got a really bingeable series um, and people are discovering it, you know, even after the six episodes have been released, it means it's evergreen and people can keep listening. We tend to find that on most shows, about 40% of listening is on back catalogue. So I know uh, for a lot of people, when you release an episode, you want to see how many listeners you have. You go to that kind of 48-hour stat on your latest episode, how many people have downloaded that. If that number is going up, then that's that's the best thing. But it's not always the case. You know, there's there's that kind of weekly figure that you can see on your hosting platforms of how many listens are happening across your entire back catalogue. Uh, so you know your every episode you've made. Can be valuable with uh, with dynamic ad insertion. I mean, Robert Smith mentioned in his previous talk that they didn't. They had like eight hundred and forty five episodes, but they hadn't kept track of them. You know, that's a mistake. Keep track of your back catalogue. Number it. Make sure you know it's it's valuable to you. Once it's out there in the world, you know, it can it can still be working for you. Um, as I, and I said, so try and focusing on that weekly figure. If you can be growing sh- listens, not just on your latest episode, but also on. You know, maybe you've got uh, an episode that's really relevant to just that something's happened in the news and you push that on your social media and people go back and they listen to that and then they discover your show and they binge listen to your catalogue. Then that is another way of kind of growing your audience rather than just focusing on making sure that that latest episode is kind of um, the most important thing. Uh, And again, you know, take a look at your platform that you're hosting on right now. Some have dynamic ad insertion, some don't. You know, if that's something that you want to be open to, seek, you know, kind of research the options uh, that are out there. And again, understanding your data is going to be important when kind of approaching these kind of platforms as well. So hopefully that's kind of armed you with some language and some words and some understanding. Um, But, you know, how can you get creative with your data? Uh, As I said, the RSS feeds can be a little bit of a black box, so understanding exactly who your audience is, who your listeners are can be difficult, but there's kind of ways that you can, you know, beg, borrow and steal from other areas and kind of bring it together with your listening data to at least give your shows uh, the best chance possible. And also to kind of be able to tell the story of your show, who is listening, what is the kind of audio uh, that you're making and to kind of collate them all together so, in terms of uh, launching a show, as I said, if you ha- do you work for a magazine, if you do work for an organization that already has a web presence or a digital presence, and you're the person who's been sent here as an envoy to uh, research launching a podcast, then, you know, start looking at the web traffic that you already have. Start looking at the audience, what they enjoy, and if there's a way that you can build a podcast around this. Uh, ACAST has recently worked with the Batuta Advocate uh, and Pop Sugar, um, And it, again, it was a simple case of they already had this audience and they wanted to give another side of what they're doing I think that's also valuable as well it's if you are someone who's maybe on YouTube or you already are a journalist then seeing what people already like but how you can make that intimate how you can make that something that people want to listen to rather than to read uh, you know uh, if you already have launched a show what look back at your back catalogue see what your most popular episodes are and also titles um there's a show called intelligence squared which is a big show that comes out the uk which is a big debate show uh i had a session with them looking at their data and we saw that their most popular episodes uh titles had questions like significantly bigger their, their episode titles were questions not that that might not be for everyone but for some reason that worked and you know Fewer shows they did with, well, at least, you know, putting the, what the debate question was front and center helped their shows. So, you know, really kind of digging into your back catalog and what kind of things were popular. Um, as I mentioned before, in terms of monetization, that weekly figure is important. So if you are looking to get into the podcasting space, if you are looking to, you know, break out, having that regular weekly release at the start, is important. It does help build audiences. I'm sure we've all had that kind of feeling where you listen to a new podcast and it hasn't come out for a couple of weeks. It's not there on the Thursday and because it's so easy to kind of swipe and just delete that subscription. You, know, you want to make sure that you're kind of staying there in people's catalogs. And also, as I said, it helps build that kind of weekly number, that kind of goal that you're looking for in terms of, in terms of audience growth. And also, you know, consider playing with your format. Uh, The best thing about an RSS feed that's different from radio is you can do anything. You can put any kind of uh, audio out there into the world. You know, you can have one week. It can be a 40-minute episode. Next week, it could be a five-minute episode. Or you can have a 40 and a five within that week. You can mix and play, and you can see which of these is kind of having listener spikes, which ones are kind of having a really nice people listening to week after week. Um, It's a real opportunity to play with the format and then to go back and look at the data and see what kind of is working. You're not beholden to anything and you can always change things up as well. In terms of, you know, understanding and engaging your audience, uh, it's always podcast live events becoming a bigger thing. You know, my dad wrote porno came and they sold out the Sydney Opera House. That's bananas. I've just seen it for the first time. It's huge. How did they do that? Uh, And it's a big thing, you know, all over the world. uh, Radiotopia... Uh, in the UK, we do, we have regular live events. People really turn out because they love their shows. Um, I've actually got this picture here. These guys—they're uh, a Melbourne-based uh, podcast network called the Sands Pants Radio Network. <laughs> I love them. They're just—they've been with us for a long time because they have a majority UK audience. So that was what they, was good for them. They saw they had a majority UK audience. They joined a place that was originally in the UK to help them monetize. It's worked out fantastically for them, and they're basically able to dig into their data. When they're planning a live tour, they just see where their listeners are. So when they had a UK tour, they would see they had lots of listeners in Bristol. They were like, "Where is this magical place called Bristol?" I was like, "It is the land of jungle music." <laughs> And paganism, it's fantastic, you should go there. Um, yeah, and, uh, and the same thing with their Australian tour as well. They're able to break out their data by state and by city and just make really easy decisions about where they should go. And they have a lot of fun, and it's, you know, it's a big way that engage their audience. Uh, some platforms have the ability to see listen-through rates uh, as well. You know, it's, um, it's, it's depending on whether or not you can get first-party data back. So ACoS has it, some other platforms have it as well. But it basically allows you to see how far through your show people are listening. Um, Julie Shapiro, who's the audio goddess, executive producer of PRX. Um, I heard this quote a few years ago, and I really hope I'm not saying it wrong, and I've just sort of misremembered it, but it was in an article and it was, there has to be a really good reason for a podcast to be longer than 30 minutes. I'm not saying that I agree with that, but I think the what she was saying is, you know, think critically about how long people are going to be listening. If they are listening on their commute, how long is your commute? You know, when you get to the end of a train, you know, there's the driveway moment as well. There's also sometimes you have to get off the train and go to work. So there's that moment as well. Um, and I mean, you know, there's, that can be wrong. I heard in the fine tune session that someone put seven minutes of music in the middle of a podcast, which I think it's just baller. So <laughs> I don't think that, I, you know, it should completely own you, but it's just sort of looking, do you, if you have an hour and a half long interview show and your listen through rates are dropping at around the 45 minute mark or the hour mark, what does that tell you editorially? Should you be uh, tightening the show? Do you want to try splitting it into two and seeing how that works? So kind of seeing how how far people are making it and kind of making creative decisions uh, based on that. Also, a nice little savvy tip as well is to go onto podcatchers and look at their recommendation engines. Um, Acast has one. Apple Podcast has one. It's a bit at the bottom where it says like your listeners also subscribe to, and it's also just interesting to see who else, what else they're listening to um, in terms of what their interests are. It's useful to kind of build a picture of what your kind of audience is. But then on that next level, you know, if you do know and love that show, particularly in the Australian podcasting space, where you know, so many people are up and coming and I think helping people out, you know, is a a big part of what makes the audio community so lovely. But maybe reaching out and suggesting that you do cross-promotion. ACAST ran a survey where we found that 78% of people... uh, Seventy-eight. That's Robert Smith. Told me to be excited about statistics. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight um, uh, percent of people uh, who uh, get their recommendations for other podcasts through other podcasts. I'm mean, we've we're sure we've all done it. We've listened to Gimlet and we've heard the ad for the other Gimlet shows. So you listen to it. Anyway, this is a way you can do it. And uh, using those recommendation engines to basically, you know, see if there's anyone who you can do a quid pro quo switch with as well. It's something we do at Acast. We dynamically insert the cross promotions. We match up shows and it's just, we see about an average, about 30% uplift, which is great. And what I love as well is that good content will out when these people discover these shows, when I love them and I know they're good. People continue listening. They have been listen on the catalogues, so it's kind of, it's a nice interesting way of seeing how you can get there into the podcasting in space and kind of, kind of grow your show. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean it was really great to start today with that talk about the Australian sound, I think it's something that's really important when you know, looking to Australia on the international stage at this time. Uh, You know, I love Mike Williams talking about punk podcasts. So, you know, (laughs) what makes things sound Australian? Um, And again, yeah, so just sort of looking at the podcast trends out there. I mean, Australian true crime shows are doing so well out there in the world. In the UK podcasting charts, you know, Case Files, lots of all the new ones that are coming out of Australia are doing really well across the globe. But that's just because everyone loves true crime. There's a bottomless well of desire for... Serial killers. God. Anyway, <laughs> but also looking at the things that just Australia does well in the on in the international market in general. You know, uh, the the kind of as I said, it's the the punk podcasting that Mike Williams was talking about. Who are you when you hit record? You know, what kind of diverse vo- voices are there in Australia? The kind of comedy, health and wellness tends to do really well. Um, In fact, what I'm going to do is that Guy, Scott Wilson, who's my uh, colleague here, he's a content director, I'm going to actually invite him on stage during the Q&A to talk more about, if you do have questions about Australian podcast trends and the things that are doing really well, he'll be able to specifically um, kind of answer those. Um, But yeah, so kind of thinking about, you know, as I said, dynamic insertion, what's going to, you know, break in the US or break in the UK or just be incredibly popular um, here. Um, So yeah, so... There we go. Some points about creativity and data. Obviously, you know your voice is best, but just kind of thinking critically about how you can use information about your audiences to support you guys uh, editorially. And then on the other side of that, you know, you've done all of this, you've honed it, your show has grown and grown and grown. You've got this big, massive weekly audience that listens, and you've really nailed exactly what they like, and making that weekly show is easy, and all those kind of things. How... Do you get paid? (laughs) I mean, I think it's, we're all kind of, you know, you guys are all artists. I was about to call myself an artist, not an artist. Uh, I'm doing a talk called Befriending Your Data. Um, But I mean, I think people should get paid and I think that's okay. And I think it's really important, even in those early stages, you know, having something to hire a producer or buy better mics uh, and then sort of looking to the future to building this, you know, as a business that can support lots of different different voices. So just in terms of things that you can do um, to, you know, what advertisers want to know, it's difficult. They advertisers endlessly talk about first-party data, particularly digital advertisers who are used to web click-through and all the creepy things that have been uh, <laughs> in the news recently with Facebook and all those kind of things. It's, it's what they're it's what they're used to. But um, with podcasting again, it's on RSS feeds. There's that limited data coming back, so it's about basically being savvy and telling that story of your show using the data that you have and also the understanding of the data in general. So a big thing that you can do um, is survey your audience. I'm sure you've heard on even This American Life, Ira Glass is like, please tell me about your interests and demographic details. And it's the exact same reason that, you know, it helps you get sponsors. And I think couching it in the language of you know if, if you do have the time if you do want to support the show if you can just you know it will be anonymized but if you can just do this it'll be really useful people want to help I mean once i understood how important it was i fill out every survey for every show that i love you know i kind of i get why it's why it's so useful and asking about their interests as well and kind of little things like do you listen to commercial or non-commercial radio? It's a key question because if they're listening to non-commercial radio, they're not hearing radio ads. They're this non-traditional audience that we're so used to hearing about in podcasting that you know uh, are just harder to reach. And it's, it's, it's a good story to tell. You can also kind of supplement that with your social media engagement. Who's tweeting at you? Who's tweeting at you? I love the podcast so much. I love it. I love it. You know, take a screenshot of that. That's a, it's a good story to tell. Uh, the Acast podcast rankings, you know, if you get to the top of the entertainment charts, like making a mention about that, live uh, event attendance, you know, all these things can kind of really be telling your show about the fact that you have this beautiful, loyal, engaged audience, which we all know podcast fans are, but sometimes media agency guys, they need a little bit of a push, you know, basically. Um, And, you know, just to say, I'm sure you always hear about the traditional kind of podcast listener who's the super well-educated, you know, affluent, tech-savvy, engaged, East Coast intellectual, you know, Sorry to all the New Yorkers here, but, you know, we don't always want to be reaching those people. And I think as the uh, Australian landscape grows, there is real value um, in diverse voices. I think it's important in and of itself, but actually um, from a commercial standpoint, understanding your audience when, you know, you're not the traditional kind of uh, show that people would think of in podcasting. Understanding them is, is actually really important. And there's a lot of commercial opportunities out there because you are reaching, you know, the kind of audience that is not always easy to find, not always serviced by you know, traditional media, and yeah, as I said, whatever you're doing, it is, it is good to get paid. Um, and just kind of as a case study of this, uh, I wonder, I hope that you guys have heard of this show, My Dad Wrote a Porno. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing show, and when you actually know it, you know that it's not uh, porn, it's three kind of English people talking about ridiculous smut, and it's funny, and... And uh, people love those guys. One sec, where am I? Oh, yes. And, of course, they start at the Sydney Opera House. And, you know, we, we a cast. we know their show is amazing. We know the audience is, is obsessed. But media agencies have this kind of worry. It's like, are we aligning ourselves with porn, you know? How, <laughs> how do you tell the story of this show, one of the biggest shows in the world, um, that's, you know, very good-natured and would be a dream to align to because it's just so damn cool? So we did a survey with them. We figured out their demographic data. We know that they're... Over 70% female, they're educated, they're single. There was a high proportion of people who were uh, working in healthcare and working in education. So as we said, it was like savvy, savvy nurses and teachers, you know, list- giggling on the way to work. Um, they have a sizable Australian audience as well, which is really key. And through all their, the fact that they sold out the Sydney Opera House, the fact that they have listening parties where people tweet at them and they're dressed up and they're holding pomegranates and those kind of things... Yeah, exactly. It builds this like wonderful picture of this audience, and it's part data, part kind of things put together in that kind of sort of DIY way that you have to in podcasting as we professionalise. Um, and yeah, and so we were able to kind of build this picture of this show, um, and when kind of we were looking to find an Australian sponsor, it was a little bit difficult, and then this brand came along who, you know, maybe find it slightly hard to align with certain brands. You know, they're not... They, they want to make sure that they do look cool and are reaching the right audience. And it was just, it was just a, a perfect match. So I'm just going to play, play the audio now of that sponsor read.
2: Guys, in a world first, I want to talk to you about vaginas. Oh my. <laughs> because this episode is sponsored by Vagisil.
1: That's a curveball.
2: Good one for us though, right? We talk about vaginas all the time.
1: Oh my God, it's a daily occurrence.
2: But I read a mad fact that 47% of women are embarrassed to say the word vagina. Vagina. You are not one of the Alice.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there are lots of things that you're a bit like lady stuff. It's probably that
2: totally, and it can be embarrassing, but it shouldn't be exactly. And some words that are going to cause some titters at the back are things like vaginal itch and irritation, dryness, odor. We've all had it in spirit <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's the whole point of Vagisil right they've got solutions for all of these things oh
2: they are shameless about vaginal health <laughs> they are they've got things like vaginal itch relief cream and itch relief wipes that's for on the go
1: by on the go you don't mean like on the bus or on a plane you just mean like good to <laughs> chuck in your bag right yeah I think okay, so um,
2: there's pH plus wash and prohydrate plus gels for dryness relief and more comfortable intimacy so if you want to find out more about Vagisil go to their website vagisil.com.au to look for their products online or at Leading Farm and let's not be afraid to say vagina 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 vagina
1: vagina vagina
0: vagina,
1: baby but like i think with the first conversation i had with kate i was like i'm gonna play this ad and then we'll just work everything else out <laughs> <laughs> i think that's true <laughs> yeah it was yeah um so yeah so just in summary you know putting this all together what is the story of your show who is listening are they a different kind of audience you know Creatively, how can you reach them better? Who, where are they? All these kind of things you could build together. This story and understand your show uh, using data, both commercially and creatively. Um, just to kind of hit on a final point about the future of advertising, we've we've listened to a sponsorship. We've talked about the kind of sponsor reads you know, that we can insert dynamically. We're all used to hearing the kind of Squarespace uh, mattress ads, all these kind of things. But I just want to kind of briefly talk about data and, you know, how things are going to be happening in the future. Um, I have like a kind of theory on Host Red ads. I mean, I love them. As you can see, they're amazing. Um, They kind of, I feel like they, came about due to a problem, and that problem was lack of data. There was such a lack of visibility in the early days of podcasting. You couldn't tell advertisers who was going to listen. It had to be baked into an episode. You know, you couldn't say what the reach was going to be or who even were. So kind of what would you give them instead? And what you did is you gave them this really strong authentic hilarious read that was native into the show it was you know it's it's a great thing to own and it worked really well um, for years uh but now we're in a situation where we do have that visibility because of dynamic ad insertion we can count by impression advertisers are more willing to kind of get on board with monetizing podcasts and we're able to marry that amazing sound of a host read with the data as well and it comes together and it just it it's amazing and it's selling really well and it's supporting so many podcasters um around the world World, um, it's important, I think, to kind of think about the how the future of hostries and are they really, you know the most, I mean, I think a lot of people can be quite attached to them because they are so fun and we're so used to hearing them for so long. But um, in an Edison research study in 2017, it said that 52, 52 uh, listeners said they believed that the hosts of podcasts that regularly listened to were actual users of the products and service mentioned on their programs. There is that kind of, if you do, that's great. That's awesome. And depending on the time of content of your show, You know, that works really well. But if you are kind of making something more journalistic, uh, where you need editorial separation, we are getting to a stage now where with dynamic ad insertion, we can play around with ads that aren't necessarily host-read, that can go across... You know, more shows. When you're building a story of your show, it do, for you know pitching to sponsorship, it is more about the kind of much bigger shows who can really represent themselves in the space. But for smaller shows, you know this kind of moving into a space where ads can run across multiple kind of shows, um, you know it does help with editorial separation and in terms of getting revenue out to more people in the world. Uh, I mean, I've been in here a week, I've uh, been in Australia a week. I understand that kind of the radio ads sound is a bit of a national joke here people are just shouting at you just shouting uh, and obviously that's not something that we want in podcasting but i kind of finding that balance of being able to bring revenue through contextual targeting all those kind of things to everyone i think that's where the future is going and i think it's a it's a dialogue that we should have depending on however you feel about it um, because you know that will bring more people into the space um, i'm running out of time but let's quickly just talk about the future Here's just some few bullet points. Uh, Yeah, just more things to think about, and I think that we'll have data play a part in them as well. So at-home devices are going to get bigger. Smart speakers, targeting them. Thinking about the listen-through rates on there, are we going to have to create shorter audio formats, uh, daily news shows, uh, nuggets of your shows, all these kind of things? Google has just announced that their SEO strategy, basically uh, searchability on the on the web, to double the size of podcasts. What kind of metadata is going into RSS feeds? You know, are you if you can search? uh david attenborough uh you know heaven forbid if it's the day that he dies and everyone's searching his name i don't want to say it's going to happen but anyway uh and his wikipedia entry comes up news and then maybe his you know his interview on desert island discs as a kind of audio as a first-class citizen how do you get your podcast into that space it's going to be something we're going to be thinking about a lot in the future as well and then that leads into you know android versus apple listeners you know 60 percent of people listen on uh, ios so basically um, on the desktop or on their phone and i think the most i read you know most podcast producers have Apple iPhones but actually the vast so we think about that and we worry about whether we're being on the Apple podcast charts whether we're being you know uh, featured there but actually the vast majority of the world have Android phones how are we going to find them how do we you know figure out how do we grow that denominator as well you know things like cross promotion is about preach to the converted but I think this kind of future is about growing that space I mean 17% of Australians have listened to a podcast in the last week that came out in the, the infinite dial and it's like that's great and we can how do you access more of those people but how do you get the other 83% of people listening to podcasts? 83? 83? Don't question me. Dissenting voice. Anyway, um, <laughs> speech to text as well. Um, setting up a website where you have the transcription of your show, so that when people are searching on the website, it's easier to find. Creating, you know, not, it's not just data; It not just about listening figures. It's also about metadata as well. And then eventually coming into a space we can have hopefully algorithmic recommendations where someone likes that show and this one. You know, the Spotify Discover Weekly playlist, the beautiful simplicity. If you there's someone out in the world who's listened to two songs that you like, and they've listened to another one that you haven't listened to, that goes on your Spotify Discover Weekly playlist is beautiful and you know I find so much music through that way uh, so yeah just summing up uh, data can hopefully help you engage with the audience understand who they are grow your show by figuring out maybe what can be done differently creatively or you know uh, matching you up with different ways of promoting your show growing the denominator uh, preaching the converted and then finally giving you that language to kind of reach out to sponsors and sound as absolutely weirdly nerdy about rss feeds as me <laughs> So hopefully I can do that. Uh, And now time for questions. So I would just like to invite Guy up on stage as well. Uh, He's a content director here at ACAST. If you do have any Australian specific questions, hopefully he can answer them as well. Um, Any questions?
0: Hi. Um, So you mentioned about people are still, the best thing in terms of getting advertising is to release the episode week by week to build those audiences and I understand that premise. But for instance, I'm planning with my podcast to release the six episodes in one go mm-hmm. for several reasons. One, just ensuring that I actually get them out. But also... It was I great when S-Town did it as well. <laughs> exactly. that was just,
1: I was like, I'm going to listen to this. Is, I'm not going to work tomorrow.
0: And as a listener, that's what I find. I feel, I feel like it's so cluttered now that if I get one and then I have to wait a week for the next one, I actually forget and I just move on to something mm-hmm. else. So to me, that works. But I'm wondering how that affects advertising. Because obviously, I release my six episodes. I'll have no advertising. And then, hey, it was amazing. Yeah. But then you've already had all those people listen to it who didn't get the
1: didn't get the advertising dollars. So is there a plan for that model? Uh, it's interesting, because, I mean, yeah, I've spoken to a lot of kind of media agencies and companies and publishers who want to get into the space, but, like, well, we have to have a launch sponsor. And, like, how can you guarantee that my show's going to be this big three weeks in? It's just like, I wish I could say that. If I could say that, uh, you should be paying me ten times as much. Um, but we can't. But, I mean... I totally get that and it makes a lot of sense and I think it's a really cool, new, interesting way of getting audio out there and I think it matches up with people's listening behaviour. I think it does come down to the fact that with technology like dynamic ad insertion, it doesn't matter that, you know, after the six episodes have gone out, those listens are gone, they're gone forever and there's no opportunity. If you can know that you have a really great PR strategy, you know how you're going to promote it on social media and then they all go out in one go... But then in the coming weeks, you know, you get a media pickup. It just, it slowly grows. That's still okay. Those listens are going to be able to be counted and you're still going to be able to sponsor them. And that's kind of the great thing. It's just, yeah, your back catalog does count. So I think if that's what you want to do, I think trust yourself, go with your heart, make great content, get it out into the world and then promote it. You know, as I said, go on, see who else is listening and see if you can go on other people's shows, all these kind of things. And then it's still there. And then as you grow that audience you'll be able to monetize and get sponsors?
2: I think as long as the content's evergreen, people will yeah. find it in time. Um, and that dynamic administration allows us to monetize back catalog content very effectively. Um, so think about that. You know, if, the, if the content's something that isn't time-stamped, um, the nature of podcast discovery means people will find that content. And, and we can monetize it ultimately more effectively once you've got a demonstrable audience size Mm -hmm. so it's a good strategy It
1: also works in terms of just your brain space like i know producing takes up all your time so if you commit to a weekly schedule and it's just you in the first day and you've got to produce everything and then you've got to make sure that you schedule the tweet and then you've got to go out so if it makes sense for you to create this awesome thing get out into the world and then push it i think i think go for that you know hi so um Two things. Two very quick things. One of them is uh, I'm planning on launching the podcast on June the 29th. Okay. So this is like real beginning stage. Mm. What would you? And this is mind blowing because really I, I realize there's
0: so much more things to be thinking about <laughs> beyond just what we're interested in. Yeah. So what are
2: your
1: some of your, the top tips you would say we should put into place now mm. before the launch episode? Well, I mean, this isn't data. This is just kind of basics in releasing an RSS feed, but when you want to uh, add an RSS feed to Apple Podcasts, it needs to have some kind of audio on it. So I don't think it's ever too soon to create a short trailer to set the RSS feed up to get that delivered to Apple Podcasts to start promoting it and to send people if you know it's great that you know a date as well so many people cannot <laughs> decide on a date to release and they suddenly do it without telling me anyway but but you know release that trailer say coming out 29th of June start pushing it and then people will start subscribing so they, you can never do that too soon i'd say get that done as soon as possible that's not a data element but i mean what else would you say would you be your tips
2: um. I think, and think about social media, you know, start to build awareness and and kind of tease content out that way. Um, and, And look, a bit of paid social doesn't hurt if you've got kind of an idea of who your demographic might be. Fish where the fish are. Is the kind of the well-worn phrase, but you know, go after the audience where you think they might be, build excitement. If there's a trailer on the RSS feed already, even better. Um, and, and make a lot of fanfare about the launch date so people know when to, to come back and check.
1: Yeah. And I think getting, is it going to be a weekly release or is it a series that you've already created? It's it's actually, uh, it's part of this uh, podcast fellowship with Seth Godin. And okay. so his challenge is from June 29th to mid-August, mm-hmm. you've got to release 30 episodes. Oh, wow.
2: In so I don't have days. to tell you
1: to get stuff in the can then.
2: <laughs> Busy winter yeah. for you. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I say to anyone, you know, three or four episodes in advance, that just gives you that kind of leeway. And also, again, you don't always have to commit to a regular weekly release. But if you are going to go on holiday for summer, just tell them. Just be like, at the end of the episode, be like, we'll be back at the end of the summer with the new... Th- or add an extra trailer to the feed as well. People will keep you in their podcatch subscriptions. You know, they, they have limited space, but if they know that you're coming back, they'll keep you there. So just kind of keeping people involved as well. And again, you know, even during those off times with those listens, if you're not releasing, you can keep monetizing them as well. So it's not like they just, it goes away forever, basically. And don't archive. People are really into archiving their back catalogs sometimes. It's like, don't, leave it out. Like, if you're happy there. to leave it yeah. out into the world, leave it out there in the world. And if something happens that you feel like you can push an episode, do it.
2: The advertising point that Katie made is actually a really good one. Um, I'm kind of a Londoner working for a Swedish company based in Australia. Um, So I think it gives us a hashtag global. It gives us a somewhat kind of holistic view of podcasting. Um, Australia's very privileged and I'm passionate about Australian podcasting but it's maturing um, and booming at a time when the the advertising interest already exists. In the UK there was this weird period where people were making podcasts, there were large audiences but there weren't weren't the metrics, the IAB hadn't taken a stance so advertisers were kind of like this is a bit of an unknown, Mm. Um, that's not the case here, podcasting is really starting to boom, the IAB have taken a stance, it's given media agencies all the kind of metrics that they need to be able to report with transparency to their clients Um, and literally media agencies do what the IAB tell them to do do, which is a pretty good situation for us a lot here. So um, the, the money's there. You know, you're, you're hearing now premium advertisers getting into podcasting. So if you've got this rich back catalog of content, you can start to monetize it very effectively um, straight away. So it's a really exciting time.
1: And it's a and it's point I said again about divo- diverse voices or reaching audiences that aren't just the traditional mm. podcasting audience. You know, I am in the UK um, and the sales team, they do get briefs for very niche products or very niche services that are looking for a very specific type of audience that aren't as I said the East Coast intellectual um, and they have to turn the way because there aren't enough people in the space so you know I think representation isn't always just like you know it's an altruistic thing it's just it's good for everyone and it's good for business um, and yeah and you should just learn about your audience as much as possible and, and get into that space
2: any other question two quick ones I might. okay
1: we have met but this is not a stitch up <laughs> uh, The first one is, an RSS feed, if you do a second season, is there an amount of time that you shouldn't go longer than
2: that'll make people unsubscribe?
1: Ooh, that's a difficult one. It really does depend. I mean, so you're going to be releasing a new season on the same... It's the same content, it's going to be on the same RSS feed. I mean, again, the, the thing about podcasting is it is such a... New exciting time that the rules haven't been written yet, and I wish I could say to you, if you do it longer than three months, they will have <laughs> all gone. But, but I can't. Um, you know, we're writing them. Serial. The how long was Serial? Two years two years, eighteen months. I don't know. But anyway, but you shouldn't just take that as a barometer. Um, I mean, yeah, you people do unsubscribe, and it is useful to keep a feed ticking over, but ah, I wish I could give you an answer, but I really can't. The advice, I guess,
2: is test and learn. Yeah, I think so, Look at the data, take risks. We're we're still at a stage where we can try new things in podcasting.
1: Keep track of your listening data. If you do see, you know, a sizable dip, is there an opportunity for you to release a bonus episode, you know, even before something, or keeping something in the can, or release an episode, or at worst, release a trailer when you know it's going to be coming. If it's going to be coming in four months' time, let people know a month in advance to kind of build it back up again.
2: And the interesting thing, I think, is because of the landscape of podcast, we can put something in there that yeah. says we're thinking about the next production exactly, if you've got yeah. any ideas that you want covered and get that UGC coming in to R- make right, RSS feeds
1: are just an amazing technology there's a reason that podcasting does exist on the same tech that was built in a garage in 1992 <laughs> you know it's it's egalitarian it can be got anywhere anyone can set one up you know um, yeah, and you can do anything with it. I'm sure there's a lot of radio producers in here who make shows that have to be 42 minutes, 35 seconds long and not a second longer. And that's, you can really play with the format here. And uh, yeah, and again, you know, release something out into the world every now and then just to remind people that you hear. You can do that, you know?
2: And the other really quick one is um, when you talked about how long someone listens for, that's just a stream, not a download.
1: Yeah. That is just a stream, yeah. And it's not all hosting platforms. So at ACAST, we get it from our first party data. So we get it from listens on apps and on the embed player. So because we're able to get that ping back, it's not just, as I said, the someone pausing and pressing play and someone pausing again. So it's it's, it's, it's on kind of certain platforms that you can find it. Thank you.
0: Um, I just want to ask about the dynamic ads. I'm pretty sure I've heard some of those like just dropped into almost the middle of a sentence Mm. in some of the things that I'm listening for so what are the editorial controls that you have over that to say when they're placed and how do you adapt your back catalogue that doesn't have those editorial choices to kind of make it fit
1: yeah I mean it it is an education so without when we launch a show uh Acast uh, it's easy because we can give someone all the advice in the world on how to make a uh, an ad break really natural you know plan for a short jingle interlude, but don't say coming up after this advert because there may or may not be one because that's the way it works it's kind of a listen through so a short uh, musical interlude that kind of fades you can say maybe coming up after this And then there's music and then it goes again and that's you know that happens in lots of podcasts you know when it when ira glass introduces the same thing he does the introduction three times we just get used to that um but yeah it it is difficult when if you are migrating a huge back catalog onto a platform that has dynamic ad insertion it is difficult we sometimes try and play around where if it's a really evergreen catalog we have a thing where there are no mid-roll ads and then people can take the time to kind of, you can play, the markers are placeable um, on kind of places with dynamic ad insertion so you can find a spot and it's about kind of thinking where would be best. If you do have a huge catalogue and, you know, we sometimes say maybe doing it on the top 50 most listened to episodes and kind of, you know, except there, there's, it's, it's something we have to work with individually with each podcaster. But yeah, if, you, if, if you're thinking about now creating a new podcast, thinking about, I mean, it is just good radio making in general. To kind of to have a break and to break things up and to come back and to read and to go. So, but just thinking, where where would a mid-roll marker go? I think is is not a bad thing to think about.
2: There there is like a silence picker tool for your back catalogue as well, which finds like a very natural pause where you can drop the mid-roll marker. Um, But again, it's it's not kind of foolproof because the content wasn't built around an ad break. Um, But to Katie's point, absolutely. Now, when you're making content, start thinking about where the ad break might go, Um, because you know it's it it shouldn't be a an elephant in the room that people want to monetize their content and and you know building your content in such a way that makes that monetization process easy should absolutely be uh, front of mind
1: cool that's it thanks so much for coming to the nerdy Thank one you. guys
0: the nerdy one. that was katie rogers joined by guy scott wilson in there at the end our podcast is produced by selena shannon with music by james milsom You can stay in the loop with our upcoming news and events by signing up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Audiocraft Fest.